This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Thanks for joining us. Well, they left it late, but after a turbulent week, Trent outlined to Gareth Southgate why he should be on the plane to Euro 2020. Coming up, we'll review the win over Villa, chat transfers and, of course, preview Real Madrid's visit to Anfield on Wednesday night. Here to get into all of that, we have our Liverpool correspondent, Paul Wolf, and Theo Squires is here too. For those watching on YouTube, they'll be able to see Theo, but Gorsty, for our listeners, what is the look? Roger Federer stroke sort of the undertaker i know it's been wrestlemania weekend in the wwe but uh in a brave look there was that asking me or ghosty no i was i was, I was talking to ghosty so he could see oh, the sorry, I thought you were <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah. very very guns and roses-esque roger Federer style undertaker it's it's just a an absolute bandana for all occasions isn't it so fair play to you theo um <laughs> i'm hoping that the you, your barbers is open this week well, I'm blaming it on Sean, because if he hadn't put me on the early shift, I'd have been, never mind Primark, I'd have been queuing outside the barbers this morning. But yeah, I'm almost warm into it, you know, because I've had to wear it for a few weeks now, and I've not been on podcast, so you've not had the delights of it. But it's a what, Milan Barros-esque Luis Garcia for throwing back to 2004-05. With, uh, your, with your Bolton connections as well, I saw Phil Brown over the weekend back in at South End and sort of him with the neckerchief on. You two would make a right pair. But anyway, let's crack on and let's <laughs> let's get into the uh, the football chat. Gorsi, of course, you were at Anfield, saw the last gasp winner, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Keep him out the headlines you can't right now. How big mm-hmm. a win was that for the Reds? Huge, massive. Um, it was a much improved performance, um, but looked like it was going to be the same old story, didn't it, when Ollie Watkins fired Aston Miller in front. And that's just been the way it's been for for four months now, I'm feeling close to five months. Liverpool dominating possession. Um, not really carving out too many massive chances, although they did have a couple more than, than they have of late in Anfield, in particular Salah in the first half. Um, but then we're, we're, we're stung, weren't they? When, you know, our position haven't really had to work too hard to score in Anfield of late, and, and that was the case when... John McGinn passed it right through Kabak and Phillips, who parted like the Red Sea. And Ollie Watkins, the man who scored the Attrick in October, uh, scored again. So it just looked like it was going to be another familiar tale. And then when the, the offside decision was given, which I'm sure we'll come to, Liverpool could have been forgiven for retreating into the shell and counting themselves a bit unlucky and uh, licking the wounds. So um, credit to, to Klopp and the players that they come out for the second half and never did that. Um, fought themselves back into it and um, showed the kind of mentality that, that's been lacking for most of the season, really, particularly something that we associated with last season with so many late goals and that just that desire and hunger to to play to the final whistle and, and a belief that they could change the, the course of the game and, and that is what they did. And, and um, you know, fair play to Thiago. We nearly scored his first Liverpool goal with, with his, you know, uh, shot. Great save by Martinez, to be fair to him as well. And then Alexander-Arnold's come up with the goods to cap what I thought was a, was an excellent performance from him. And, and I, I'm hopefully going to make a, a little point on him a bit later in terms of his defending and so on. But um, it was Gerard-esque, wasn't it? When Liverpool needed the win, it was the scouser in the team who come up with a, the eye-catching goal and a huge win. Keeps them in the hunt for the top four and, and they've got a real chance of, of finishing in the top four now, which is remarkable when you think that lost six of the last seven at Anfield and haven't been anywhere near it for the last four months. 
Yeah, exact point I was, I was going to come to you with, Theo, actually, was Trent coming up in the, the last minute like that. Was that a, a Gerard-like moment? I know he's always going to get those comparisons being the scouser in the team, but was that his moment? And are we sort of beginning to maybe see sort of the, the Trent trademark? Think back to the curled effort he had at Stamford Bridge. I know that was a sort of free kick laid off for him last season, the free kick against Palace as well. Just a whipped, controlled finish into the far corner and the goalkeeper had no chance. Yeah, it was a wonderful goal. And it's when you see the replay that Liverpool put out on social media, when you see, what was it, two defenders on the line, two defenders, he has to curl it round as well. You think, how the hell has he put that in the back of the net? There is nowhere to aim for, and he still managed to put it in. And it is what we've had a lifetime of seeing Steven Gerrard do. And then when you think, well, Trent's had a few of these moments, but not many, but he's still a very young man, a very young footballer. Steven Gerrard wasn't doing this on a weekly basis at that age. He'd have one or two moments. He was starting to pop up in the cup finals. And it's like, well, if Trent can carry on doing that, he's not at the assist this year, then there's no reason why he can't be that match winner. Like all the pundits say it, don't they? Even though he's a right back, he is second only to Kevin De Bruyne as a playmaker in the Premier League. And now he's, he can get more goals like that. Um, and it's all the roles he was playing for that move. That he's almost as a number 10, isn't he, when he's laying it off to Thiago Shakiri, retrieving it, running deep into the far post, and then aware enough to get back involved, back into the, the move and bend that into the top corner. Liverpool needed that moment, and they haven't had it for so long. As Gorsi says, it just felt like it was going to be another one of those days. I think I put in the, the group chat when um, Firmino's goal was disallowed just before, a first-half goal, oh my God, the world's ending. So this is what it's been like for Liverpool for four months now. It's amazing that they've been amazing at Anfield for four or five years, and this is the situation they find themselves in. And just when you feel like it's going to be another one of those days, Trent pops up with his goal and it's like we've gone back 12 months and Liverpool feel like they can win any game in the last minute, if, even if they're losing. Yeah, I remember, Gorsley, was it after the Fulham home game in, in your verdict? I remember you, you sort of said to us how Liverpool had scored, what, one open goal since Christmas until Easter. And now all of a sudden... Obviously got the, the two goals, Salah again coming up with a goal. But on Trent, let's let's get into him and, and talk about Trent Alexander-Arnold. Gareth Southgate, of course, was watching. He stayed for stoppage time and he'll be rubbing his hands that he did, won't he? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, mean, I think, uh, let's face it, Southgate wasn't just there to watch Trent. He, he will have also had an eye on Matty Cash, who could probably consider himself somewhere in, in the pecking order of, of very good England right-backs at the moment. He's, he's probably, where you rate him, maybe fifth or sixth, but um, he's had a good season as well. So uh, it wasn't just Trent that he was there to watch, but it was the Liverpool man who, who come out um, as the star of the show, wasn't it? And I, I hear it all, all the time about, about Trent Alexander-Arnold, and, and to be fair, it's not Liverpool fans who say it. It, it. it just gets thrown about, you know, so flippantly and so nonchalantly, without much thought given to it. It's just, oh, but he can't pretend. Um, now, this is a player who has been part of the best back four in the Premier League for the last two seasons, the, the, the Liverpool team who've conceded the least goals. So by virtue of that being the, they are the back, best back four and best back five. Um, and he's also playing in a role that means that he has to get forward as much as possible. He's had 12 assists and then 13 assists in that run. Um, a Premier League record for 12 and then he goes and breaks it with 13. He's the PFA Young Player of the Year in that time as well. Um, so he's an absolute superstar of a player. And all this was before he turned 22, which was only October. Um, and then his performance on Saturday, um, he can defend. He can defend very 
very well when when he has to and and he, he's caught out of position a lot and okay maybe that can be something he can improve on I'm not saying he's flawless by any stretch but it's the way Liverpool attack that the kind of condition for him to go forward as often and as much as he can and remember he he actually told me himself when I sat down with him uh, about 18 months ago that um, the way the manager has them defending or attacking is winner high up the pitch so you're not running back 60 70 yards and, and you're having to concede a corner or throw in near the corner flag it's very much win it as high as you can and go from there and if you look at the Gino Wijnaldum goal the first one against Barcelona when he wins it high up the pitch and puts in that low cross that is very much the way the clock has Trent and, and Andy Robertson defending so when I see it so nonchalantly thrown about that oh but he can't defend it's not right it's the way Liverpool uh, are set up um, and he can defend uh, there was a situation in the second half when Villa had a counter-attack and it was threatening. I think it was three on three and Alexander-Arnold gets back into position and, and Trezeguet just runs it out for a goal kick and it comes to nothing. That is that is superb defending. He, he doesn't have to throw in meaty challenges, weighty tackles to concede a throw-in or concede a corner for for people to say, oh, actually, this lad can defend. That's not his style of defending. It's not a hoss me at right back, is it? Or, a, you know whoever you, you want to look back on in terms of Liverpool right-backs for the last 20 years. Um, it's a different style of defending and he can do it. Um, and he can also go forward and attack and win Liverpool games, as he showed on Saturday. So um, when I hear that, oh, we can't defend, thrown about, it just makes me want to tear me head up because it's just so thrown around so flippantly. And I think it's just kind of one of those echo chambers that people say without actually studying it. Yeah. And to that from Gorsty as well, you've got to remember that this Liverpool side have been without Virgil van Dijk for most of the year and Fabinho's missed large chunks of the season as well. The reason why the fullbacks can get forward and attack so much is because in van Dijk and Fabinho, they've got two players who will sweep up anything. It doesn't matter if it's two against one at the back, they will see that damage out. We all remember, what was it van Dijk against Spurs a couple of years ago? I think it was Spurs anyway. We had no reason at all to stop them getting a shot and goal. And he just completely took the danger away by himself without even making a tackle. And it's, these players are superstars in their own rights. And when they're on that team, the fullbacks can get more forward and they don't need to worry about it because they know they've got that protection and they've got the pace at the back to cover them if they're out of position. But this year they don't. Like Nat Phillips knows in Kabak, it doesn't matter how well they play. They don't have that pace that Van Dijk has. And it, it winds me up as well when you've got Southgate coming out and saying that Trent's having a bad season and then he lists all these other fullbacks that are playing so well. Look at the fullbacks he's in competition with. Carl Walker is not first choice for Manchester City. He's in and out of that team. Reese James is in and out of the team at Chelsea. They're not getting the same amount of assists as an out-of-form Trent. They're not getting the goals of an out-of-form Trent. Kieran Trippier's been, what, suspended for two or three months. And then you've got all the others who's like nowhere near this side. Trent is by far the best option. And if you're saying this is Trent out of form and he's still the best option, how good is he going to be when he's back in form when they've got Van Dijk in there and as well? He is a sensational footballer and it's about time he got the credit for his abilities rather than this lazy accusation that he can't defend. Yeah, he's definitely had a, a turbulent season and I think that's sort of been encapsulated in the, the last month, being left out of the England squad and then coming back, playing so well against Arsenal, not so well against Real Madrid and then puts in another great performance against Aston Villa. But Gorsty, in terms of the context of the season as well, it's kind of been a bit of a an isolating season for him as well in terms of that defensive unit that he's been so reliable within. Obviously, the centre of it has crumbled away this year due to injury. He's not got, I suppose, the, the comfort blanket maybe of the Anfield crowd with him as well on occasion. 
it's going to be a big learning curve this season for him. And you only, as a player, learn and develop through experiences, don't you? And I, I just sort of wonder that with James Milner maybe coming towards the end of his Liverpool career at the end of next season, Jeannie Wijnaldum maybe moving on, obviously with his contract ending at the end of this year, is it time maybe that Jurgen Klopp considers, even at the age of 22, putting him in towards that leadership group? Yeah, I think when you when you're forced to play twenty different centre back pairings, that does not help the full backs or the goalkeeper. I'd, I'd imagine it's only since Liverpool have put Fabinho back into midfield and Kabak and Phillips have been given a run, you start to see start to see a little bit of consistency and and some consecutive clean sheets. Um, so I don't think that has been um, of any help to the Trent or to Robinson. And obviously we're focusing on Trent here at the moment. And I think maybe that there's been a little bit of um, Possibly naivety from the player himself and from from the manager for thinking that despite all these issues that Liverpool can still play as they were in terms of the fullbacks. You know, what, as Theo mentions, that you know these these defenders are not Van Dijk or Gomez. They haven't got the recovery pace of of Gomez and, and Van Dijk and, and the ability to push up and squeeze the pitch because of the pace and strength of, of those two particular centre backs. So Liverpool have been forced up to change their game and, and probably haven't done it as uh, proactively as, as some might have liked and, and maybe Liverpool might have won a couple more games here and there had they done that. But now you're seeing a bit more consistency in the team with Fabinho back in there just to provide that screen, allows the full-backs to go forward a little bit more. And and we've seen what Alexander-Arnold can do against you know Arsenal and, um, and Aston Villa. So um, it looks like... Liverpool are getting a little bit of consistency back on the team, and and um, uh, I think Wednesday night is the, is the big test of whether Liverpool are really turning the corner at Anfield because uh, even an out of form Liverpool at home probably should be beating Aston Villa at home, but um, now is is the big test on Wednesday, isn't it? The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We're going to get to previewing Wednesday's game shortly, but Theo, is it now all of a sudden eggs are in the Premier League basket again? Being obviously with the deficit, we'll we'll get into the the game in itself shortly. But Leicester had a bit of a wobble losing against West Ham United at the weekend. All of a sudden, it looks as though there might be two spots to play for in the the race for Champions League football in the Premier League. It would be a dream for Liverpool if two spots become available because you just assume that their experience would be enough to see them through. It's just been one of those crazy seasons where all the teams in the mix have had a wobble at some point and it just so happened that Liverpool's seemed to go on forever for these four months that coincided with lockdown. It seems like we've had a whole mini-season in this little spell. And West Ham just been incredible in that run, winning every week and they put themselves right in the mix. But then you can't really rule any team out at this set each when there's still quite a bit of football left to go. But you think... It was only a few months ago before Liverpool were top of the league that Tottenham were top of the league. Now, they've had their little loss at the weekend. They've had a, a little bit of a blip, but they're still in the running. Everton is still in the running. They've got a couple of games in hand. If there are two places up for grabs, you still don't know who it's going to go to. Leicester have got their ghosts from last season. You'll think well, maybe Brendan Rodgers can pull them out of it or not. It's just hard to call. and It's just about who gets to the finish line strongest, who gets there first. Liverpool now, what, three league wins in a row? If they can really get this Anfield demon off their back, you'd fancy their chances. Just need to get the players all together, get them all in form. A few of them begin to find it, and if you can get them resembling the Liverpool of last season, you'd certainly fancy them. 
Definitely. Let's get on to one of our favourite talking points from this season. It's not injuries, Gorsty. Of course, it's VAR, um, the joy killer, the uh, life sucker of footballing emotion. It struck once more at Anfield on Saturday. It's getting beyond the joke now, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? I've seen, a, seen someone on Twitter put a thread up today of Liverpool decisions that have gone against them for VAR this season and it's remarkable, really. Um, how how you can give Diogo Jota's being offside on, on Saturday and not give Daniel Amati being offside for the Leicester game um, is beyond me. It's almost like there's no um, there's no kind of defined criteria. It's just whatever the guy at Stockley Park at that particular given game feels, um, just deciding almost on a whim and... It's like they're going out of the way to, to chalk goals off. With Aston Villa have moaned if, if, if that goal would have been given Roberto Firmino, which comes after Jota has run forward, passed it back, Salah passes it to Robertson, Robertson shoots, then Firmino tucks it away. There's a whole lot to negotiate before that ball ends up in the back of the net. I don't think Dean Smith is going to cause any aggro if, if that goal is given. In the same way that... Um, I don't think even Jose Mourinho, of all managers, would have moaned had um, Manchester United's first goal been given yesterday when McTominay's judge to flicked out to Son and, and then it's passed to Pogba, who plays in Cavani, who's still got a lot to do from there. It's just, it's just, it's, it is just like going out of the way to find the fault with every single goal that happens. And, and there was a decision in the Newcastle game that, that went against them, which should have been a penalty when um, someone goes up for a header. And, and Sean Longstaff, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, with Tarkovsky and, and it's, it's what was high. And if that's anywhere outside the penalty area, it's a free kick all day. No one back to Ireland and, and you crack on with the game. It, it is just ruining it. It is. You know, I, I've seen loads of people on my Twitter, people who, who go to the games every week and, and you know, hardened match goers who are turning off. And even people who, who don't have season tickets and don't go every week, they're saying that, that they've had enough. Um, they get, I, I wrote in the match verdict that, the uh, the Premier League's just being sustained out of loyalty more than anything else, and the fact that there's, there's not a whole lot else going on, is it, at the moment with lockdown? There's a load of footy on the telly and you can't go out your house, so why wouldn't you stay in and watch it? But, but even managing That was to- what I saw, actually, at the weekend. I saw someone tweeting saying that they'd, uh, they'd turned the TV off, they'd had enough, they walked off. Five minutes later, they said, I sat back down with a beer and I, I watched it again, because, as you say, there was just nothing else to do. But, Theo, in terms of sort of just, just VAR, just generally, I suppose the genie's out the bottle in terms of technology. That's not going to go away. I think people who want VAR gone, sadly, aren't going to be listened to. But... On these lines and sort of the, the geometry of the offside calls, well, first of all, the camera angles aren't dead level with the line anyway. But can't these lines just maybe be done on the done sort of on on the ground and at feet level? Sam Williams, who's a regular listener, got in touch with us over the weekend. Thanks for for getting in touch on Twitter, Sam. He said, "I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, guys. Doesn't there become a point when clubs take a stand and say we're not having it anymore? Not one player, manager, or supporter." want this. Nuno Espirito Santo said something very similar after Wolves game with Fulham on Friday night. What is the solution? VAR is going to be here to stay surely, but got to got to be changed and tweaked, isn't it? I just don't get how come it only seems to be in England whether and the issues with it. Like you don't hear France, Italy, Spain, Germany coming out having these same debacles on a weekly basis where they just can't seem to be able to implement the technology correctly. And it's changed week on week with every decision, depending on who the VAR is. It seems they're trying to avoid controversy. Like before, if with an offside decision, for example, 
it would always be benefit of the doubt to the striker. And that's what fans want to see. There is an art in timing your run. And if you're offside by a toenail or whatever, you don't care. They've timed the run pretty well and eyes benefit. Let them in, let them score, let them have the goal. And now it just seems when the officials don't know, they don't know what decision to make, they just disallow it. Like I've seen the stills from the Yotter offside, watched it again. It's like, what actually is offside? Is it his elbow? Is it his shoulder? We've had incidents where, like, is that line in the wrong place when you've got this still and it all blurs together? Whose body are we actually looking at here? I'm thinking of the Leicester. Was it the free kick? Are you still not sure what the correct decision is there? It's just, well, they're not implementing it correctly in the Premier League. It was supposed to be brought in to clear up the clear and obvious. So if a player is two yards offside and he scores and a big mistake has been made, you can use VAR to correct that and disallow this goal. It wasn't meant to be taken away the art of timing your run. No one cares if someone is off by the smallest of margins. You'd much rather see the striker score from that, say that's a great goal, fair play. And if you're having to zoom in, just to see whether it is a fraction or not, then that shouldn't be the decision here. And it's like, well, the lines, you can, depending on where you're looking from an angle on the lines on the pitch, we'll see whether a player is offside or not. And it's all just making it confusing. It's annoying everyone. It's frustrating everyone. There must be a better way to do it. Before it was implemented, there were suggestions that the officials could do like, a, you know, in tennis and cricket, when you've got the challenge, where you've got your manager or captain could challenge it. Well, then, just get people, wouldn't you, in the last 10, 15 minutes, getting annoyed and get, oh, I've got a challenge left and get the same controversy again with uh, the smallest margins just on the off chance of getting goals disallowed. There isn't really a way to get it implemented that is going to please everyone unless they actually look at how they're meaning it as clear and obvious and don't do it on every single decision. Only use it for mistakes that are clear and obvious mistakes. And sadly, I think it's got to that stage now where the box has been opened and we're not going back. We've waited so long for technology to clear the game up. We forgot that it'd take away the humanity. Yeah, and I think anyone who thinks the media love it and maybe want to bracket us in that can assure you we don't. I know we've spent 10 minutes or so, or five minutes talking about it, but Gorsty, it's something we really get sick and tired of, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm sick of, of talking about it. and I'm sick of it dominating the, the post-match talk and the, the discussion and the analysis and you settle down for match of the day and there's no real analysis. It's just, oh, what about this decision? What about that decision? And it's all we seem to be talking about. But a mate of mine made, made a decent point to me actually this morning. He said, if 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 we're not kicking up a fuss about it and we're not talking about it, then it's it's just going to be normalised. And I suppose that is a good point because if it just gets to the point where you think, oh, come on, if we, we talk about this again, then it's just, it's not going to subside, is it? It's not going to, go away, it's not going to be dealt with. Uh, I noticed the Football Supporters Federation put out a um, questionnaire to, to, to fans and uh, something I retweeted and something I actually filled in. Um, it was asking for opinions on VAR and it was I think it was going to plan to put them forward as best they could to any sort of relevance or authority and let's hope that people took part in that in, in their millions and, and voiced their real this, you know, disenchantment with it all because um, that is possibly the only way it might be looked at at some point because it's killing the game it really is the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo 
Let's move on from VAR then and talk about something a lot more cheery, and that's transfers. The two of you guys over the course of the weekend on the Liverpool Echo website have written stories that took my fancy and I thought we'd bring them up and talk about them on the podcast before we get into the Real Madrid game. Uh, Gorsi, I'll come to you first. Steve Okarigi, not involved in the, the squad for Liverpool again, and no one really talking all too much about it. Might well be the, uh, the beginning of the end, although that might have been some time ago. Yeah, quite possibly. He hasn't been involved in the last four Liverpool squads. He's got a muscle injury at the moment, but it's one of those injuries that, as you say, we haven't heard too much about from Jürgen Klopp. And, and sometimes you, you'll get people say, well, why aren't you asking about it? But I think I think you, people need to understand sometimes that you're only getting you one question a week to Jürgen Klopp, and, and that is the, the same for everyone in, in the media and the press conferences. Um, it's not particularly the biggest story if you've got Jürgen Klopp saying for 10 seconds that, oh yeah, Divock has got a muscle injury, so he's not going to be involved. So it's not necessarily a, a massive story, but it's interesting that Liverpool have been chasing games in, in the last three, haven't they, with uh, Arsenal when it was 0-0, Real Madrid when he was 3-1 down, and then Aston Villa on, on Saturday. And each time Jürgen Klopp has been able to bring on the likes of uh, Jota, Firmino, and Mane, um, but no one is, and even Chikiri, but no one's actually said, hang on, where, where's Origi? Because um, it's just been a bit of a forgettable season for him. He's only scored one this season. That was in the 7-2 win against Lincoln. It was the seventh goal of the night. So a pretty meaningless one. And, and this is someone who uh, has had a really sporadic Liverpool career when you think back to what he's done in terms of scoring, winning goals in Champions League finals, winning goals in Merseyside derbies, huge goals in, in that. 2018-19 season uh, but he's also been on loan at Wolfsburg and um, someone else in there I think he went back to Lille didn't he when Liverpool initially bought him so it's been, it's been a career of, of um, intermittent ties with um, an otherwise pretty ordinary few years at Liverpool so um, I just think now at this point with him not even really attracting too many headlines the fact that he's not even in the Master squad I think Mill might be looking towards uh, an inevitable pattern of the ways, a pat on the back for everything he's done, and Liverpool possibly in the market for someone to, to fill his gap in the squad. So um, that could be something that Liverpool have to look at this summer alongside the more uh, urgent concerns of, of a centre-back and maybe one or two other areas. But yeah, if if he does leave it as uh, could be the, the situation, then um, Liverpool, for me, will need to bring in another forward. Yeah, he's only 26 Theo Divock, or oh, sorry, turns 26, sorry, I think it is on Sunday, but he has done an awful lot for Liverpool, but it does just feel as though sort of time has almost run up on his Liverpool career. Jadon Shaqiri, a player who's sort of often thrown into that mix as well, there has of course actually been real live interest in Jadon Shaqiri, but last few weeks he's he's really been uh, coming on and, and playing a key role for Jurgen Klopp. Jadon Shaqiri's always played a key role for Jurgen Klopp when he's fit and available, he's always made an impact uh, in his first season. He had this little run where he was starting and Klopp changed the formation. He was getting lots of goals, lots of assists. And even when he was out the start at 11, he was plagued by these injury issues. He still came on and had his moments. Like you think of that season, sets up a goal against Barcelona, sets up a Rigi against Newcastle. Last season, didn't play much, admittedly. Gets his goal in the derby. We're still seeing him have a big impact this season. And he, he seems to love playing with Thiago. The two of them just link up so well together. Granted, Shaqiri's he's probably another one that you wouldn't be surprised to see leave in the summer, especially when we got Harvey Elliott doing the business on Moan at Blackburn. It seems a, a natural transition to say one squad player out to bring in Harvey Elliott into the squad and you know there's going to be interest there. 
and you know it could be an easy way to raise transfer funds from Southern Shakiri. And he probably doesn't get the credit he deserves because he's a very clever footballer and does have an impact on Liverpool. Like it's very easy in the past when you're saying that Liverpool's second string attackers aren't as good as the front three and they don't have the same impact. And that's when it's thrown at Origi, Minamino. It's like, well, Shakiri has had the impact when he's fit. The big issue is he hasn't been fit enough. And yeah. that's not no. What were you going to say? You can interrupt there. No, I was going to say, I, I was going to stay with you just talking about um, the piece you wrote on the, the, the Echo on Sunday. And if well, Liverpool are going to raise funds before buying someone, and we're talking about Origi and maybe Shakiri, you you floated forward the, the England captain and <laughs> Tottenham sent forward Harry Kane and the possibility of that, eh? Um, yeah, that that was a bit of a cheeky one, wasn't it? Obviously, over the weekend, the reports were saying he's going to quit Tottenham if they don't uh, qualify for the Champions League. When I actually wrote it, Liverpool were probably not in the Champions League argument anyway, and they just so happened to beat Villa. But it's like all this time, you've had Harry Kane there, you'd have scoffed it and thought he's not a Liverpool player, he's not mobile enough. But this season, you look at his returners, he's actually really creative this season. He's got the leading playmaker stats. I think he's got more than De Bruyne, more than Bruno Fernandes. He's played more par- key passes than he ever has in a season on an average game basis. And it's like, oops, like, he could actually fit into that Liverpool front three and be reasonably well. He's um, got the most combinations with Son for, I think, for a duo creating goals in a season with 14, 15, something like that. If you can do that with Son in a misfire in Spurs team, what could you do with it, a Salah or a Mane? And we've had all these accusations at Roberto Firmino in the past that he doesn't score enough goals. Well, Harry Kane would score goals, wouldn't he? He always scores goals. Now, do I think Liverpool are going to sign Harry Kane? No, I don't. Um, do I think that it will even be in the ch- uh, hunt to sign him? No, I don't. But there was just this little memory of when Robin Van Persie, which I'm sure you love this transfer guy, when he joined Manchester United. You think, well, United won the Premier League in one year, then they lost it to Manchester City. Their response was, sign Robin Van Persie, and they stormed it in Ferguson's last season. Yeah, quite nice if symmetry happens here. Liverpool win Premier League and then lose it to Man City. Sign uh, the Golden Boot winner from North London and then go and win it next year. Yeah, it won't happen, but it's a nice idea. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that Dutchman. But uh, of course, the, <laughs> on Harry Kane, we, we've spoken so often about how Roberto Firmino might well be the hardest player to replace. But as Theo says, I think only Robert Lewandowski has been involved in more goals this year in Europe's top five leagues than Harry Kane, given his goal scoring exploits and creativity as well. Albeit we're not expecting this one to happen, but what a signal of intention it would be from Liverpool to really sort of go and, go and sort of put that one out there. <laughs> yeah, it would. I mean, it's. Um, I, I was the when when I heard this piece was coming, I, I was a bit taken aback. I thought, like, it's it's bold to to, to put it out there. Theo. I mean, Theo's <laughs> quite as a bold shout. I've not heard that one before. Yeah, it, I mean, it's an obvious. I put it down one. to base with his Aguero one a few weeks back. He's given me the inspiration. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, I mean, look. Let's, let's face it. Sergio Aguero was on the market, so you know you'd love to have him, wouldn't you? As you would Harry Kane, even though he wouldn't be coming on a free transfer. And both of these two of the greatest strikers in the Premier League era, but um, I don't quite see either of them pitching up around field this summer, even if Liverpool do get into the Champions League. But uh, it's nice to, to dream about how they would adapt to Liverpool, isn't it? Particularly Kane, because uh, as you say, Theo, he's, um, people have had him pegged as a, you know, a selfish number nine for years, and he is that, of course. But this season, he's adapted his game and, and has, has become a real creative force and, and he's got an underrated passing range, I think. Um, he's um, 
such a clever player as well as being a you know someone who shoots on sight and he's got a great shot with, with either foot, but he can also uh, thread passes and, and lay in teammates as well. So he's he's almost a complete package when you're thinking about strikers in world football. But sadly, I think this one might be a little bit beyond Liverpool, even though they're a bigger club with uh, bigger aspirations than Tottenham, um, which I can say without uh, any kind of attack on a Liverpool theme podcast. But yeah, I mean it's uh, it's a nice one to to, uh, to fantasize about at least. Yeah, I don't think Sadio Mane would be too happy having Mo Salah and Harry Kane in the team as well, taking shots when he's in on goal, maybe. But let's let's get to Real Madrid then before we go and uh, look ahead to the second leg, of course. 3-1 down from the first leg, Gorsty. It's, um, it's not impossible, but it's definitely improbable, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, if Liverpool had 54,000 fans in there, uh, I'd, I'd fancy Liverpool to do it. I really would. We've seen it time and again, and and Klopp said something himself after the game. He, he uh, on on um, Tuesday he said it's difficult without the fans, and we know that we've got to do it alone, but we'll give it a try, and that's all Liverpool can do, I suppose. It's it's going to be very difficult. And Real Madrid showed that they're no busted flush in the last week. I thought they were fantastic, and they haven't got the household names of, of years gone by, which I think caught some supporters off guard because I think many thought that they were a bit washed up, but still a top draw side and um, it's going to be really difficult for Liverpool to overturn this two goal deficit. I think that they can score twice um, but can they, can they shut that Real Madrid from getting an away goal? It's, it's going to be really difficult and I'm not as confident as I would be if there was a full house coming to, to Anfield on, on Wednesday night. That's the key thing, isn't it, Theo? It's all about really the clean sheet in this game. When you think about it, Liverpool can win this game 2-0. I don't think any of us sort of doubt that possibility maybe being able to to play out. And it is all about the, the the clean sheets. Prior to the first leg, it was four clean sheets in six for Liverpool. They've kept six in the nine Champions League games so far. Do you think they can do it on Wednesday night? Um, before Aston Villa, I didn't. But then obviously Trent pops up with his last minute winner. And you think, oh, this is Liverpool of old, sort of. Maybe I can have a little bit of belief here, get a little bit optimistic. It's one of those, it's so hard to imagine it without fans. But then we've doubted Liverpool before and they've found a way to do it with the most famous example being Barcelona. Obviously, they had fans there, but it's whether this Aston Villa win has triggered in something in Liverpool, whether that mentality is there going, hang on, we can do it. They've got the talent, they've got the players. Granted, they might concede a goal. It's a bit dodgy with this defence. Like You don't know what you're going to get. When the centre-backs, they could have a sensational game, but Alisson's not in his best form as we saw at the weekend that Alisson could just be getting that mistake out of his system and putting an absolute blinder against Real Madrid. It's not unfathomable to think Liverpool can win 2-0, but then we all made the same assumptions last year against Atletico Madrid when out in extra time and we weren't expecting it. It's whether they can find something deep within them and do what they haven't done all season for a really special Anfield European night. But can it be a special Anfield European night if there are no fans there to witness it? Maybe, just maybe now uh, restrictions have limited. Fans can do a go and sing in Stanley Park. Obviously, in your groups of six, two metres apart. Don't do that. We're not encouraging that. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But <laughs> they've got to find something to get it over the line. And you just hope that Aston Villa, of all teams, in a scruffy Premier League last-minute victory, can give them that little bit of belief, that little bit of confidence now that after four months of horrible Anfield performances, the old Liverpool of last season have returned. 
yeah, there isn't fans, as we well know, Gorsley, but these players, by and large, have done this before for the names of Bushkets, Rakitic, Messi, Reed, Casemiro, Cruz, and Benzema. But uh, they, they sort of did seem to really... Uh, I suppose it sort of throws out the no fans argument in how they came back against Aston Villa with that last minute winner. It very much was reminiscent of, oh, this is Liverpool, the determination and the characteristics within the squad. Hopefully that can be a springboard going into this game as we really look to be as, as positive and pep it up as much as we can. Yeah, there, there are some moments to, to cling to the fact that um, they've done this before against La Liga opposition. Um you know, when you look at the Barcelona game, they had to overturn a three-goal deficit, didn't they? So they only need two on the night if you can keep a clean sheet. Wednesday is the six-year anniversary or five-year anniversary of the Dortmund game, the 4-3 game. So there's also that on the side of people like to look at these at moments. But also the fact that when you look at that Barcelona game, Liverpool didn't have um, Salah or Firmino. That they, both, both of those two were putting down firm kind of Start and claim certainly Salah. He's been Liverpool's main man once again, hasn't he? So you know, for Firmino, I thought he was a bit better on on uh, Saturday. Salah is just the, the the main man, and and Sadio Mane probably owes a performance for Liverpool, and of course they've got Jota in in contention as well. So there, there's some some positives to look forward to and, and pick out ahead of this game. And um, I wouldn't say all hope is lost, but it's just a, a massive blow not having. You know, can you imagine Wednesday night Liverpool needing this, this this result? They'd be lying in the streets from early in the afternoon, wouldn't they, cheering them on? And, and to be honest, now that lockdown has been slightly lifted, I wouldn't be surprised if there are, you know, more than a few dozen outside of Anfield early on welcoming, welcoming in the uh, the coach, even though they're not actually allowed in the ground. But um, it's going to be a big night and maybe, um, maybe it can be done. I'm just slightly a little bit hesitant to say it certainly will be with the fact that there's no supporters in there but let's see what uh, what they can do because there's no, at least there's no one unavailable for Klopp this, this season this game other than the ones that we obviously already knew about The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo We'll get on to the starting lineup. Probably take a bit longer in our team selections than we normally do because this is going to be such a, a huge, huge game for Liverpool. Just a word on Madrid. They did win El Clasico at the weekend 2-1. I think the uh, result in, in that one was they've won their last six in a row as well, Theo. They've, they've won 11 of the last 13, drawing two, not lost since the end of January. It, to win against Real Madrid is going to be one thing, but to win by two goals is is going to be another, isn't it? Thought we were supposed to be a positive guy. Wait to I'm put just, down I'm, on everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just, I'm just I'm <laughs> laying out the facts, mate. Just laying out the facts. Um, Real Madrid, quite good, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> you saw that coming. They've still got these world-class players. And I know there's been criticism of Liverpool at times that they haven't really adapted their squad much from those two Champions League final appearances. Majority of the team is still there. But it's pretty much the same for Real Madrid. They've got a lot of those bodies still in the camp under Zidane. And it's just who they can put together to put a team together. Uh, granted, the back four is going to be makeshift, the same as Liverpool's. But as we saw in Madrid, that midfield trio is deadly. If you give them time on the ball, they can carve any side apart. And Karim Benzema is uh, finally getting the headlines that his talent deserves. I remember earlier in his Real Madrid career, there were always calls that he'd be sold and that he hadn't made it. But you're not a bad striker if you're at Real Madrid scoring all these goals for a decade. 
he is a world-class footballer and maybe he's not got the headlines he's deserved with the fact that he's had his international career taken away from him in another lifetime he'd be a world cup winner but Liverpool are going to have to be at their best to stop Real Madrid whatever Real Madrid is it wouldn't matter of all this form how they did in the El Clasico when you've got players like Cruz, Modric, Benzema you know you're going to be up against a tough side and that's without mentioning the younger talents like Inches Jr. as we saw last week. Rodrigo's still there. They are a good uh, team. And as much as you can say Liverpool can beat anyone on their day, they can turn up and turn over anyone on the day. So can Real Madrid. Yeah, Vinicius, I think, doubled his Champions League tally, didn't he, on that night against Liverpool in the first leg. Four goals in the Champions League from two of them. Of course, coming in the, the first leg, let's get, though, into our, our team selection. Alisson, the goalkeeper, we're all happy to, to go with that. Back four, same as it has been now for the last few, Gorsty? Yeah, I think so. The, they haven't really... The Real Madrid game aside, they've been pretty solid in the Premier League. I haven't been able to concede one in, in the last three, so... Yeah, it, it has to be, doesn't it? It was questioned, I think, on Friday's podcast whether or not Theo Fabinho might be put back into that defence, obviously really knowing that Liverpool can't afford to concede an away goal. But I suppose what he offers, not only protecting the defence, but the passes forward in defensive midfield as well, mean that probably is best to stay with the back four as it has been. Yeah, Fabinho's too important in midfield. It's a different story if you've got Jordan Henderson available. But when you don't, you need Fabinho as that protection in midfield. Like we're seeing who Liverpool up against in the engine room you need in there. Granted, Kabak and Phillips aren't your strongest options, but it's better to have natural defenders there who can defend with that shield in front of them. All right, so Alisson in goal, Trent, Kabak, Phillips and Robertson as the back four. Gorsty, what's your midfield three going to be then? Well, I was thinking about the 4-2-3-1 because Liverpool need the goals, but I, I just think if they did that, they'd leave themselves open to be schooled by that Real Madrid midfield because it's it's no doubt it, it's the strongest part of, of their team, isn't it? So it's going to have to be uh, Fabinho in there. Um, James Milner's making a bit, bit of a claim, you know, he really is. Um, just because I think Liverpool lacked a bit of leadership and a bit of um, streetwise, a bit of a streetwise mentality in the first leg. So I'm actually going to go with Milner and then... Um, it's why Alder Montiago, isn't it? That's a tough one. Um, probably go with just Wine Alden. Wine Alden. What's your midfield going to be, Theo? I thought mine was going to be quite controversial, but of course, he's just gone and done what I've done with um, Milner. I think Liverpool need that leadership from him with Henderson missing. It is vital for this game that you need someone like that, and he is who I would put in. Fabinho's obviously there, but I'm going Thiago over Genie Wijnaldum. And it's more in the blind optimism that you can bring him on at half-time and he'll score a vital brace. Like, you know the scene in Dodgeball where they get him to unleash his anger, you know, the dirt nerdy dad, and they go and storm it. I think we need a, a bit of that from Genie. You look like you're ready to go play Dodgeball. <laughs> yeah, we need that from Genie. Like he said, he was angry when he was left out against Barcelona and then he came on, he scored his brace and we all know what happened next. So leave him out. Let's get him angry. Let's get him raging and then unleash him at half-time and win the game. But... If you want to be a bit serious about it as well, it looks like he's leaving Liverpool Football Club in the summer. Got to start looking to the future. And granted, James Milner is not the long-term Liverpool future, but stick with the players that you know are going to be at the club. Stick with the attributes you need to win these games. They need to keep the ball. You know Thiago's going to do that. And you need your leadership. And you know James Milner's going to do that. Obviously, the the substitution before the halftime 
whistle in the, the first game, Gorsty, was spoken about a lot, but I suppose with five substitutions in Europe as well, in that midfield, especially given Liverpool probably try and work their way through the game sort of in blocks, we might really see that midfield in front of Fabinho. Those two probably both changed. And I suppose if you've got the likes of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who's done so many things on European nights for Liverpool uh, on the bench and maybe Naby Keita, who knows, to come off the bench as well as either maybe one of Vinaldo or Thiago. There are a lot of options there as well for Jürgen Klopp, aren't there? There are, yeah. But you know what? I, as you were saying, actually, I didn't actually even consider either either player, which is which is crazy, really. I mean, not so much for Oxlade Chamberlain. He's had a bit of a nothing season, really. I think he was injured until November time, possibly, and and not even sure he started the Premier League game this season off the top of my head, but. With Keita, yeah, that like at no point did I think yet this could be the game for Naby Keita. And a lot of that is, is basically stemming from the fact that he started less than a week ago and lasted 42 minutes and, and was hauled off. And uh, reluctant to, to overly scapegoat him or sound like I'm scapegoating him, but that um, was uh, a big indicator, I think, for Klopp. Um, you know, the third most expensive player in Liverpool's history on a, such a massive night and you're getting dragged off. It's a shock that you're starting for one, and then you're getting dragged off before half time. Spoke volumes for me. So I, I think um could be an option for, for 20 minutes if Liverpool need someone to, to have a real goal and to go in a bit, you know, hell for leather in the final 15, 20 minutes. But uh, I wouldn't be looking to start to uh, navigate by any stretch. And I think that's a big indictment, really, when you think of his reputation. And, and I'm starting a 35 year old James Miller. Yeah, personally, I think it might be set well for Ox if it's maybe 1-0 going into the last 20 minutes or so, maybe chance to open up, open his legs and drive forward. Let's wait and see how that bit plays out. But, uh, Gorsi, I'll come back to you for the, the, the front three. Who Who's going to be lining up there for you? See, this is another tough one, isn't it? I think you've, you've got three players, four players vying for three positions. I'd be tempted to stick with, with the, the usual three, Firmino, Mane and Salah and, and Jota. Basically, like a, a cat in a hot roof, just waiting to, to pounce as soon as, uh, as soon as he can from the bench. Um, I think that might be the best way to go. We know Firmino hasn't had a great season by any stretch and Jota scored twice as many goals as him. Probably hasn't played anywhere near as much as well. But um, I don't know. I just think he looked a little bit better, Firmino, on, on Saturday and... Um, Liverpool couldn't keep the ball on Wednesday or Tuesday night, could they? Just couldn't make it stick up top. And I think he'll do that a lot better than, than Jota is able to if the ball goes forward against Real Madrid's patched up back line. Because I think Fat Vazquez is injured as well, isn't he? So it's going to be you know more makeshift movement from Zidane in the back four. And maybe this is the night that the uh, the front three uh, you know roll back the years and uh, do the business. Yeah, greatest hits from them and all that. But yeah, I think he may be getting in and around their midfielders as well might help break up their build-up play. But Theo, what about you? Who's the, the front three for you? Well, Gorsi's just changed my mind mentioning that Vasquez is out the right back because that means they're going to be tying like a teenager there. And before I was thinking, well, Salah's starting, Firmino's starting because he was improved against Aston Villa. But then you'd have Diogo Yossa on the left. And I was thinking, have that front three against Aston Villa, see if they can click and unleash them against Real Madrid. I quite like the idea of Sadio Mane against some unknown teenage right back from Madrid, seeing what he can do there. Maybe that's what he needs to get back to his best, or at least, at the very least, finally win a penalty with his clever feet and trickery. And then we know Yotta's got goals in him. We know he can make an impact off the bench when you've got five substitutions to make. 
maybe would be a good option to see the game over the line. But it all comes down to what Sadio Mane are we seeing. If it has been the Sadio Mane in recent weeks, the one we saw in Madrid, he can't start for Liverpool. But if we're clinging to the fact that he's going to be the man for the big occasion of all the nights to turn it back on, to rediscover his form, a big must-win European game at Anfield against Real Madrid, he's the one you've got to go for. He's also one of those, though, isn't it? If he comes off the bench and plays like he did against Aston Villa, and again, I don't want to hammer him, he's a far better footballer than I am, but didn't really come on and have much of an impact against Villa, whereas if Jota's coming onto the pitch, and we know this year just how many times he's come off the bench and got goals for Liverpool, that is just another weapon that Jurgen Klopp will have within his ranks. But anyway, that sums us up for this edition. Oh, wait, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Match predictions. Let's get to them. <laughs> Gorsty. Are Liverpool going to do it? What's the score going to be? I might be cruelly. I think that they're going to lose 2-1. Heroic failure for, for the Reds at Anfield. Yeah. Theo, what about yourself? If Gorsi had said 2-0, I'd have said 2-1. So he said 2-1, so I'll say 2-0. We've got to have some optimism, don't we? I'm saying 2-0 as well. I said it before the first leg. They did it home and away against RB Leipzig. 2-0. Liverpool, I think, going to scrape through by the thinnest of margins. But, of course, hopefully you'll, you'll get to see them get through to the last four in the Champions League. Of course, you'll be at Anfield for us. That's it from us here on this edition of the Blubber Podcast. We'll be with you straight after the game with the debrief live, as well as Jurgen Klopp's uh, press conference after the game. But from myself, Guy Clark, Theo Squires and Paul Gorse, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.